It's been said that life is a continuous process of getting used to things that we hadn't expected. So for the past, I'm going to move my podium this way here. And, uh, but for the past three weeks, we've heard messages on how to deal with changing circumstances and changing stages of life where we find ourselves living outside that traditional uh, married with children vision. Pastor Aaron shared on what the Bible had to say to our many singles in this church, as, to, as well as to those in this church who are uh, single parents. And then last week, Mark did a great job, I think, not just on blended families, but on families in general. And he reminded us that families are made up of imperfect humans, just like our church, and that we shouldn't make idols of them. You know, these three categories of life represent a a significant portion of our congregation, but not all of it. For example, I didn't grow up in a blended family. I didn't raise my children by myself. I remember being single. (laughs) You see, I'm convinced it's this last trait that uh, Aaron, that's why he asked me to share with you (laughs) this morning. Uh, I am indeed old. And because I've lived long enough to experience many changes in my life, when I think back, one thing stood out, and that is that we need to learn uh, to be content in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, which brings me to our memory verse this morning. So let's give this a try. It's uh, from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It's only 17 words, so we ought to be able to memorize it fairly easily. So... Let's give it a try all together. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Now, that card that uh, you have in your bulletin, that business size card, take that this week and put it somewhere uh, where you can see it so you can be reminded of, of God's provision for you. What the scriptures say about how we should invest our empty nest years, or he calls it our, our golden years. It's that life stage when our responsibility for others and or our requirements to be employed lessens. So I've decided to divide my message this morning as follows. Uh, first, we'll talk a little bit about transitioning to an empty nest, and then we'll look at aging with purpose, And we'll conclude with being content in all circumstances. But before we get into that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I simply pray that your Holy Spirit will anoint my words this morning. And that you, Father, you will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll take a look first here at transitioning to an empty nest. In 1991, Carolyn and I began a new phase of our lives. You see, God had blessed us with a full nest of children, and they were reaching an age when they had to begin to stretch their wings and begin to fly on their own. We were living in Canada when our oldest son, Matt, went off to college in the States, and that experience changed our family. Sure, we still had three other children at home, and it was just as hectic, but... 
There was a very valuable piece of our family missing. Well, Carolyn and I responded very differently to that life transition. In typical male fashion, I thought all I had to do was help Carolyn get through this difficult time. After all, she had just spent the previous 18 years pouring most of her energy into motherhood. So last Sunday, when Mark cautioned us not to make idols of our family, that really hit home with Carolyn. You see, it was very easy for her to put our children first before everything else, and in retrospect, even before God. Now, I, on the other hand, had held a number of work positions that had required lots of travel. So, frankly, I wasn't used to being home every night with the children. My focus in life was too often on work, even before God. It was at that time that Carolyn, being the wiser of the two of us, began praying and planning for her future without kids. Yes, we had known the time would come when we'd have to let all of our children go, but it, it was still hard to have on us what effect that empty nesthood would bring to our lives. So, again, being the wiser one, Carolyn sought God. Me, I just went back to the office. <laughs> now, Carolyn had earned a degree in science, and she had become certified as a medical technolog uh, technologist. She pondered if she should go back to work at that time. Uh, to do that, however, she'd have to take some courses and get current on uh, medical advancements. But her, she found quickly her heart wasn't there. Perhaps it was because of all those years of raising children where God taught her to, to care, to challenge, to comfort, to encourage, and even to discipline. But through prayer... God showed her that she'd changed. She wasn't that same person when we first married. No longer did she want to find a cure for some rare disease. Instead, she wanted to work with people. So as she continued to pray, she sought ways to point people to God for his help and guidance. Carolyn transitioned from attending Bible studies to leading Bible studies. And boy, did that change her focus on study and preparation time. As she followed God's leading, he confirmed for her this new direction through the encouragement of our pastor as well as some of her friends. And this eventually opened the door for her to take biblical counseling classes. And then Carolyn began her work counseling some of the women in our church. Now, meanwhile, our daughter, Amy, left for college and my company transferred us back to Hong Kong. And when our two youngest children began their U.S. college educations in 97 and 95, we literally found ourselves in a, in a complete empty nest, a half a world away from these very precious gifts uh, that God had entrusted us for the previous 20 years with. That reality then really hit us big time, especially as we huddled together with tears in our eyes with our, our youngest child in the, his dormitory parking lot, saying goodbye before flying off to Asia. You see, because we hadn't heard Mark's sermon yet, we still idolized our family. Now, once we got over ourselves, 
we discovered there are some unanticipated benefits of empty nest day and finding your house in the same order than when you left it. <laughs> or simply having the freedom to be more spontaneous about how we spent our time. We found we had more time for friends, we had more time for each other, and most importantly, we had more time for God. Carolyn led a Bible study in Hong Kong in our home. She counseled a few women. She volunteered at an orphanage. She traveled with a missionary friend to the Philippines, and she translated materials for Trans World Radio. Praying, planning, and seeking the counsel of good friends helped her transition smoothly from a busy, involved mother of four to a busy, involved friend to those who God brought along her path. In my case, God drew me to men's ministry. I attended a four-day interdenominational program called Walk to Emmaus, the goal of which was to strengthen the church through development of Christian disciples and leaders. You see, Hong Kong was a place from which many multinational corporations managed their Asia-Pacific marketing operations. And as a result, there was an abundance of aggressive type A personalities in the colony who were in control and didn't need a relationship with God. Well, several of them attended this first walk with me, and more importantly, so did the Holy Spirit. On the last day of that conference, each attendee was given an opportunity to share how they'd been impacted by the program. It was amazing. Several men announced that they had accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, while others shared that their faith had been renewed. When it came to me, I announced that I was going to start a men's accountability group at the American Club the following Saturday, and all were invited to come. I wasn't sure how many men would come, but at 7 o'clock that next Saturday, 10 guys showed up. It was the beginning of an amazing experience of deep sharing and brotherhood. Carolyn and I recently visited Hong Kong and went back to the American Club on a Saturday morning. And I'm pleased to say that that men's accountability group still meets there every Saturday, almost 25 years later. Yes, Carolyn and I miss the children and sharing intimately in their daily lives, especially because we have the best kids ever, uh, a different lifestyle, one filled with God's new direction for us. Although our nest was empty of children, we began to refill it with others who God brought into our lives. So what can we take away from all of this? Well, becoming an empty nester is not the end of the world. In fact, it's quite liberating. Take time to consider these biblical principles for emptying the nest. First and foremost, pray and seek God. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Secondly, thank God for your arrows. Psalm 127, 3-5 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. 
Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Parents, prepare your children for adulthood and demand only uh, the best from them. Thirdly, I'd like you to consider this. Be willing to let go. Take some time. Reread the story of the prodigal son. And the important thing is don't cling to your children to their detriment. Don't make idols of them. Fourthly, fill the vacuum. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what God's or what the Lord's will is. So take time, ask God for direction for your life. Now unlike Carolyn, he may be asking you to return to the workplace so that you can have a greater influence on those around you there. But importantly, set new goals, reset your priorities. And then finally, Prepare for grandparenting. Proverbs seventeen six says, Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. I can honestly say that I'm a much better grandfather than I ever was a father. Why? Because I have time. So prepare for it. But be careful. Now I recognize that not all of us have children. So the transition to empty nester doesn't necessarily apply to all of us. But I think the next stage does, and that is getting old. (laughs) Now, I have to clarify something here. This is not a computer-generated picture of what Carolyn will look like in 20 years. (laughs) Many of you know Carolyn's mom, Marge. She's now 91 years old, and she lives in a retirement home in Iowa. Also in that same home are some former schoolmates, former neighbors, and her 93-year-old sister, Marilyn. On a visit several years ago, Carolyn was invited to the 100th birthday of a lady who used to live across the street from her when she grew up. Her name was Mary Moulton. Carolyn asked her this question. She said, Mary How does it feel to be 100 years old? Without hesitation, Mary responded, Carolyn, I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) That is a true story. Well, statistics show that most of us won't reach that ripe age of 91, but statistics also show us that our chances are very good that more than a third of our lifespan still awaits us after empty, er, uh, entering that empty nest period. That's a lot of time. The question is, how should we invest those golden years? How can we age with eternal purpose? For this part of my uh, sermon, I, I look to the scriptures to find a, a good role model for all of us. I explored the patriarchs. I took a look at the prophets, and I considered the apostles. Then I remembered a movie that I'd seen earlier this year. I don't know how many of you saw the movie Paul, Apostle of Christ. It's about Paul's last days in Rome as Nero tried to rid the city of all Christians. 
Now, although the movie didn't get a lot of Hollywood praise, I thought it was a pretty interesting portrayal of the relationship between Luke and Paul. And although Luke and Paul claimed the leading roles, I got to confess, I was blown away by the appearance of two others, Priscilla and Aquila, names I vaguely remembered from my Bible study. Since watching the movie, I've done a lot of research on this humble us about aging with kingdom purpose. For example, did you know that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six different times in the Bible in four different books? Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Timothy. One thing is certain, God had a purpose for doing this. It wasn't by accident. He wanted us to know about them. So who were these people? Let's take a look at the first Bible reference here. This is where we're introduced to Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18, verses 2 and 3. Aquila was born in the province of Pontus, uh, and he moved to Rome where he met his wife, Priscilla. Aquila was a Jew, and most historians believe Priscilla was a Gentile from Rome. Mixed marriages at that time weren't uncommon, In fact, you may recall that Timothy was also from a mixed marriage. Now, we don't know if Priscilla and Aquila ever had children. It's not mentioned in Scripture, but if they did, it's more than likely that they were empty nesters by the year A.D. 49. And that's when Emperor Claudius issued an edict expelling all Jews from Rome. Together, Priscilla and Aquila fled to Corinth, where they established a humble tent-making business. Well, verse 3 tells us that Paul, on his second missionary journey, went to Corinth. He arrived there and heard of Priscilla and Aquila and, and went to see them. Now, since Paul was also a Jewish tent-maker by trade, Priscilla and Aquila invited him to join them in their work and live in their home, the very home where the fledgling Corinthian church first met. So for the next 18 months, the three of them lived and worked together in Corinth. Can you imagine, take for a moment, just imagine the deep discussions about Christ that they must have had with Paul. I believe this unprecedented time together with Paul was, it undoubtedly helped Priscilla and Aquila grow deeper in their faith and it prepared them for a life of service. The bond they established with Paul grew too close to be easily severed. So when Paul felt called then to sail across the Aegean Sea for Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla went with him. And they remained in Ephesus with him during his stay and helped found the Ephesian church. Now it was also about that Corinthian church where they had left. In fact, Paul closes that particular epistle, 1 Corinthians, um, with greetings from Priscilla and Aquila and the Ephesian church that meets in their home. I think that's pretty significant. But when Paul felt called to move on, Priscilla and Aquila stayed behind with the church there, and I I don't know if that was at Paul's suggestion or not, but they didn't continue on with him. They stayed in Ephesus with the church. Shortly thereafter, um, an eloquent preacher named Apollos came through Ephesus. 
He was an Egyptian by birth, and, and uh, the Bible says mighty in the scriptures. But he only knew the baptism of John. In other words, he knew Christ had come and fulfilled John's prophecies. But Apollos didn't know the significance of Christ's death and resurrection, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, or the mystery of the church containing both Jews and Gentiles. Now Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside, and with the help of Paul's teaching and the Holy Spirit, they shared God's truth with him. We see that here in Acts 18.26. Now by that time, Priscilla and Aquila possessed an in-depth knowledge and understanding of doctrine, and they were able to pass it on to another to build him up in faith. Apollos went on from there back to Corinth, and what did he take with him? He took a letter of introduction from Priscilla and Aquila. Scripture tells us that Apollos' ministry after that was greatly blessed. So it was about that, uh, this time that Emperor Claudius, who had, um, who had uh, put in place the edict against Jews in Rome, died. And with Claudius dead, uh, travel back seemed safe to the uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and Rome needed a gospel witness. So off they went back to the eternal city of Rome. They had hardly gotten to Rome, and already they established one more church, a church meeting in their house. We know this because Paul mentioned it in his letter to the Romans, where he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in there about this life-saving event. But because of it, we can give thanks to God, because without it, and without the epistles that God inspired Paul to write, our knowledge of divine truth would be incomplete. Well, you'd think the Bible would have talked enough about Priscilla and Aquila, but they're mentioned one more time, one final time in the New Testament, in the last chapter of the last book, that Paul ever wrote, 2 Timothy. Priscilla and Aquila had once again left Rome and were back in Ephesus, most likely having to leave because of Nero's latest outburst of persecution against Christians. It had been 16 years since Paul first met Priscilla and Aquila at Corinth, and now he was in a Roman prison for the second time. His death at the hands of Nero was imminent, and he was writing about his long and fruitful life to Timothy. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Here Paul is thinking of his dear friends, Priscilla and Aquila, in Ephesus where Timothy was ministering. And although it was just a brief and simple greeting, Paul wanted and felt necessary to be remembered to them in his last hours on this earth. What, inc what an incredible life this faithful couple lived. Priscilla and Aquila chose to follow Jesus' command in Mark 8, which says, If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
Now, I apologize for this chart, but I was so intrigued by uh, their lifeline and Paul's lifeline, I put it together from Scripture. And, and I guess the point I want to make is that blue area, that's, that's, the, that's where their lives intersected. I mean, these folks um, were as close to Paul as, uh, as anyone. It's clear to me that they invested their golden years wisely and are no doubt uh, reaping the rewards in heaven right now. So what can we learn from this picture of selfless service? There are so many lessons, but I've chosen to highlight five that we can invest in. First and foremost, grow in your knowledge of the Bible. From the moment Priscilla and Aquila met Paul, they demonstrated a passion for Christ and a hunger to become a hallmark of their lives. So the question is, are you involved in regular Bible study, either through your own private time with God or with a group? Secondly, make your home a tabernacle to the righteous. Um, Time and again, Priscilla and Aquila opened their house to the local church in Corinth, in Ephesus, and in Rome. Now, as professing believers, we know that everything we have belongs to God, including our homes. Are we using them wisely? Have we created a, a welcoming atmosphere of hospitality in our homes that that exudes a a sweet aroma of the Holy Spirit. The question is, how could you use your home more effectively to serve the Lord? Thirdly, build others up in the faith. Another hallmark of the lives of Priscilla and Aquila was their desire to build up others in the faith. A great example of this was their encounter with Apollos. And because they knew the scriptures well, they were able to to lovingly pour into his life the wisdom of Christ. The question is, are are you looking for opportunities and willing to spend the time to share Christ wherever you go? Fourthly, support those who proclaim the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila devoted most of their golden years in support of Paul and his ministry, often providing him a place to live and work, as well as developing a deep friendship that I believe undoubtedly encouraged Paul during his many trying times. The question becomes, are you standing alongside people in ministry who need support and encouragement? And finally, Pray and seek God's will for your life. Priscilla and Aquila learned early that God had a plan for their lives. They didn't know exactly what that plan was, but in faith, a variety of circumstances took them from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus to Rome and back to Ephesus. From Scripture, we get a glimpse into the attitude of Priscilla and Aquila. It's one of peace and contentment as they draw drew nearer and nearer to him, willing to be flexible in their golden years, willing to uproot their lives, and willing to completely trust God. Came a blessing to others. They were able to do all of this with joy because they regularly prayed and sought God's direction for their lives. Question, will you seek his will for your golden years? And do whatever the Lord 
calls you to do. This last point provides, I think, a great segue into our closing section. And that is being content in all circumstances. Over the past three weeks, Aaron, Mark, and I have presented a series of messages intended to help people find God, find purpose, and find belonging in whatever family situation we find ourselves. Just like Mark said, last week none of us live in the mold of leave it to beaver. Life does indeed throw curveballs at us. Collectively, we are made up of singles, single parents, married with children, married without children, blended families, empty nesters, and even some aging saints. What do we do when we feel different and sometimes even alone and isolated? Well, we hope the past few weeks have illustrated that you're not alone in whatever circumstance you find yourself. In Philippians 4.11, Paul tells us, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. But unfortunately, we live in a world that promotes dissatisfaction with our lives. We're constantly being bombarded with newer and better things, and those things will make, uh, they, they will make our lives more complete if only we'd buy them. If we listen to the world, we'll always be comparing our possessions and, and yes, even our lifestyles with others. And we'll always be dissatisfied. Paul was an outcast from his Jewish family. He was unmarried. He had no children, no permanent home, and yet he lived a life of contentment. Philippians 4, uh, 11 goes on to verse 12 to say, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul was content in sickness or in health. He was content in affluence or in poverty. Paul was content in strength or in weakness, content when he was abased, content when he was abounding. He was content when he was full. He was content when he was hungry. He was content pleasures and the amenities of the life that we take for granted today. Yet Paul wrote Philippians from jail and was filled with the joy of the Lord. Paul's contentment didn't depend on his environment. It depended on his relationship with Christ. The Bible teaches us that we, too, can live a life of contentment, not a contentment that comes from possessions, activities, or other people, for these can be changed or taken away, or even manufactured on Facebook. But instead, we can live a life of contentment that comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because there's absolutely nothing that can take that away. Knowing that we are secure in the future, and because we are secure in his love. In my research for this sermon, I came across, we become convinced that our resources in Christ Jesus are more than adequate for every situation in life that we face. So when we find ourselves in that non-traditional family, we need to trust in God. He created us. He saved us. He watches over us. He loves us. He prepares works for us. He protects us. And most of all, he hears us when we call. With that kind of a father, 
each one of us can rest in him and find peace, contentment, and joy now and in the future. So how do we practically apply this? Well, take out your green connection cards. We have some suggestions for you to consider. Um, you might want to start by memorizing 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Or if your children are in their teen years, you might want to begin prayerfully planning for wisdom in your empty nest years. Maybe you're reaching that age when you'll have more time on your hands, so pray about how you might best invest those golden years. But whatever stage in life you are, um, learn to trust God and be content in that circumstance. Or maybe you just have a prayer request. Write it down, and the pastoral team will specifically pray for you. I know they dedicate hours to this, so, um, so consider that as well. Now, in a minute, we're going to take our offering, and when that collection basket comes to you, just put your connection card in the basket So let me close in prayer, and then we'll have the worship team lead us in one final song. Heavenly Father, only three days ago, we celebrated a holiday that we call Thanksgiving. We know that the greatest gift ever given was from you. You gave us your Son as atonement for our sins. Why? Because you love us, and you want relationship with us. Knowing that gives us confidence that we're not alone in any circumstance. You're an amazing God, and this morning we give thanks for all you do in our lives. Father, bless these tithes and offering, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.